This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is missionary Daniel Canavan. We're in Matthew chapter 16 uh, this morning. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 through 18. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 through 18. I would like to talk a little bit about how we find significance in our spiritual lives. How do we find worth? How do we find a life that, that we feel has value? Well, Claire Booth Luce has said there is what we call a life sentence. And a life sentence is basically what our life will be summarized into. When you die, people will think of you, excuse me, and they will think probably of you in a, those close to you, perhaps a paragraph, but many will think of you with a phrase or a thought or a sentence. And if others were to define you in a sentence, how would they define you? If you were to define yourself, how would you define yourself in a sentence? If God were to define you and to define your life in a sentence, how would he define it? You see, all of us desire significance. All of us want to know that we have value, that there, there's a sense of worth through the life that we have lived and the words that we have spoken. It's what drives us. And if you think about what happens in your life when you are going through and making decisions and pursuing different motives and agendas, you have to realize that your desire to have worth and value is behind some of that. And I really think that when we understand what gives significance, our life becomes more whole and more centered on the Bible. You see, we are created in the image of God. And being created in God's image means that we have a moral sense of ourselves. It is more than a sense of self, it is a sense of God. It is a sense of our completion in Him, as we are connected to Him and as we are walking in Him. We're eternal beings, and within us is a sense of eternity, a sense that God is beyond, that beyond this life there is something, and that is what drives us. A sociologist, Tony Campolo, asked 50 people over the age of 95 what they would do again if they were to live their life over. It was open-ended, and their responses could be summarized into two statements. If I had to do it all over again, I would reflect more. Instead of going through life in such a hurry, I would stop and think a bit about what's important. And the second thing was, if I had to do it all over again, I would do more of the things that would live on after I am dead. So after I am passed, the only way that I can find significance is to know that my life has enduring value. It's because we're eternal beings connected to an eternal God. And we have to have that sense in order to be whole, in order to be complete. If there is one word that I think defines the world outside of Christ, it is the word futility. That the world does not know him and the lives that they are living outside of him and without him ultimately have no meaning, no value, no substance. It is not sustaining. And when we begin as eternal beings to live in the world, 
And as the world, we experience the same emptiness and the same futility that is in the world around us because we're eternal and we're made for fellowship with him. And those eternal works are to be a part of our life and the way that we live. And so none of us are immune or able to escape this need for significance. The Bible speaks a lot about legacies, how we are buried, how we are missed, what our life amounted to. And it's just revealing a core part of the way that we think. So in order to understand that, I want to take a wide view of the Bible this morning, kind of a global view. And I want us to just get a glimpse of God and how he is working in this world. Because ultimately, our significance is found in our relationship to him and in being a part of what he is doing. Have you ever thought about, we do a lot of apologetics as we're knocking on doors and talking with people. I last Saturday, I was knocking on a door in Dublin and I came across a saved person. That is the first time this year I go soul winning for about an hour and a half, two hour, every, hours every Saturday. And that is the first time this year that I've met someone saved. And it, it's just, when we're, when we're talking with people over there, we're talking with people that have no background. And it's amazing how as we talk with them and we communicate the Bible to them, we go back to apologetics and we talk about what about the ground that you're standing on? What about the air that you're breathing? What about the intelligence and DNA? All of these things reveal a creator. And it's amazing how God brought Genesis 3.1.1 to start the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God brought forth the seas and dry land out of the seas. He created every creeping thing, every animal. He created man with a distinct reference to himself, a caricature of himself. He has a mind to analyze, memory to remember and compare. He has emotions, hearts, and feelings. He has an eternal soul. And God places him in the garden for fellowship and connection with him. But when man sins, the fellowship is broken. But God is not wringing his hands, uncertain or unsure of what he should do. The Bible says in Genesis 3 and verse 15, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shall bruise his heel. You see, sin has a payment. God is holy and he always judges sin. He always enables um, you and I to realize that we are broken in our sin through the law that he has given. So he allowed there to be an enmity because of what Satan has done, but ultimately God would crush Satan and have victory over sin and what it brought and has, is bringing into our world. So about four-fifths of our Bible is a development of this theme that we are broken in our sin and God is redeeming us and making it possible for us to be saved. So he starts in the Old Testament and it's interesting how, how the Bible is actually put together. He, he, God creates a very controlled set of circumstances. He, he works with one people. So you have Abraham, his son Isaac, and then Jacob. Jacob's 12 children become this nation. And as he interacts with this nation, he reveals himself. 
He reveals his character. He reveals his love. He reveals his mercy. He reveals his wisdom all through Israel as he's interacting with them. So after the 12 tribes become the nation of Israel, they go into Egypt for 400 years, come out. And Moses, he then gives them the law, which, which, which just makes it very, very clear what's right and wrong, which makes it very easy for them to understand that God is holy and that they are broken in their sin. But it also reveals to them their need for a blood sacrifice as a payment for their sin. Look with me in Numbers 21 and verse number 8. Numbers 21 and verse number 8. Numbers chapter 21 and verse number 8. And so as the children of Israel were wandering in the wilderness, they come to this crisis where a certain judgment falls upon them for their murmuring or their complaining. And Numbers 21 and verse number 8, And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. So they are being judged for their sins, and as that venom is coursing through their veins, they're dying. And Moses then lifts up a pole with a cross, essentially. And there is a dead serpent draped upon the cross. God is lifting up the power of the cross, the victory of the cross over sin. Sin will be defeated. Sin will be crushed ultimately through the cross. There will be redemption. There will be deliverance for you and I if we will look and live. So it will never be enough to know, to understand. There must be volition and choice. We must choose to look to the cross and trust in what God has provided as an atonement for sin. Nicodemus in John chapter 3 was struggling to understand what this meant, what it means to be born again. And the Bible says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's amazing how the Bible looks back and it reveals Christ in the Old Testament. Christ is all over the Old Testament. His fingerprints are everywhere. And God is revealing to us that Christ is the fulfillment of all that was written, all of the symbols, all of the types are centered in him, that his blood that was shed upon the cross, he is the Lamb of God, as John the Baptist said, that taketh away the sin of the world. And whosoever will believe in him, will look to him, will trust in him, can be saved and born again. The Bible is an amazing book. It reveals Christ and his coming. There are so many prophecies about him, so many different things that are written about where he would be born, what his lineage would be. But when the time was right, Christ comes. There's this unique verse in Galatians chapter 4, in verse number 4 it says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law. So, when the Greeks had spread their, spread their language and their culture, the Romans, their administration, their, their judicial system, Christ came. 
And he, he, he revealed himself to the Jews. He presented himself as their Messiah. By about Matthew 10, they, they have rejected him, wanting to hold the power, wanting to, to maintain these power structures. And Christ then turns to the Gentile world. It's interesting, in Matthew chapter 16 and verse number 18, he says, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He goes up to Caesarea Philippi, and he declares that he will go from this point forward, not replacing Israel, but he will push Israel off to the side, and he will now work in and through New Testament assemblies. Eternally, God has revealed himself through that nation, and now they're pushed over, and now God will work in and through this New Testament ecclesia, these New Testament bodies. And that is exactly what God has been doing for the last 2,000 years. This is a critical juncture. Juncture. It is a transition from Israel to the church. And now the church is through how God is redeeming people, and people are being born again and congregated. At sundry times and in divers' manners, or in various times and unique ways, God spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets. But hath in these last days spoken unto us, by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things. So the key to me finding significance in life is to understand what he is doing, to understand how he is working, and to be a part of what that program is. So as we read the New Testament, we find Paul, he's instructing these New Testament assemblies. He's, he's, he's organizing them. He's congregating them. He's, he's showing them what life under the new covenant should be like. And in every day, there is the same pattern being carried through. And if you think of all of the international upheaval, think of all the crises that are constantly um, being unveiled around us through the, the corporate media, Think of all these things that are going on, and yet they are not the most important thing that is going on. The most important thing that is going on is not in the White House. It is not in the public school. It is not in the university. It is not in the high-spec business office. The most important thing that is happening in our world is what is happening in this room. As believers are hearing the word and responding in faith and obedience to the truth that God has given, as they are becoming empty, selfless vessels for God to fill and to use for his glory and for his purposes, as God is redeeming men and women and congregating them into local assemblies, to these local bodies where they are edified and built up and instructed, and they in turn are going out and evangelizing the communities which are around them, even to the uttermost parts of the earth. That's where God is. That's where God's moving. There is always going to be confusion and chaos in the world around us. It will never be a peaceful, settled place. But God works in the midst of that and underneath that, accomplishing his perfect and amazing purposes. And I think one of the great dangers that you and I have in our life is to not understand that or not appreciate the great work 
that God is doing through these local assemblies with pastor teachers that are leading them, that they're, they're, they're structured according to his purposes and promises. So the church will never be outdated or passe. It will always be the instrument that God uses. And in every generation, the most important thing that is happening is in these local congregations as they are seeing people saved and congregated into these local works. So how does this happen? Well, the way that it can only happen is we as believers become dead to ourselves. It's interesting, in John 12, Greeks came seeking Jesus. And he, he, he would always say, the time has not yet come. But when they came to him, he said, the time is come. It is time for the, for the New Testament church to come. And then he gave the example of a seed falling into the ground and dying. And he said, if the seed will die, it will bear much fruit. In other words, the outer food, uh, stored food material, the outer coating, and the embryo must become that new plant that is bearing fruit. And unless there is death, there cannot be life. And what's interesting about that is, this is where he announces the church. This is where he is bringing the church into existence. This is the place where he's moving them out of Judaism and into this age. And he says, listen, you have to die. You have to become an empty vessel. You have to become a vehicle that I can use to declare gospel, to instruct and edify. And as I become that empty vessel, as my life transitions from being a taker and a receiver to a giver and a volunteer, as I move within this body and I begin to build this body and I begin to strengthen this body and not only this body but into the furthest reaches, I become this, this instrument in the hands of God that he is working through to establish congregations around the world. I believe that is a fulfillment of God's ultimate purposes on this earth. And as I am part of this New Testament assembly, and I am integrated in it, I am a member, I'm involved, I'm serving, I'm giving, and God is using me here and using me through the missions program to establish churches around the world, I think that is where we find significance. I think the things that we give ourselves to and that we pursue outside of that ultimately are not fulfilling. They do not give that substance. They do not give that value to our life as a person who is part of this assembly, who is growing, who is fruitful, whose fruit is extending even to the furthest reaches of the world. So my friend, I pray that each of our lives will know that value and that significance. I pray that each of us will find that great sense of worth that God intends for us to have through being a part of what it is that he is doing in this world around us. You listen to missionary Daniel Canavan. For more information, visit our website at bufordroadbaptistchurch.com.